Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today, we're talking about a Batman animated story that appeared on HBO, an animated movie based on a lot of people's favorite comic run of Batman, The Long Halloween. This story, you can see origins of the Dark Knight in, you can see origins of the Batman with Robert Pattinson, and Paul Hoppy and I are going to be diving into it right after this commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host, they, them pronouns. And Paul, this is a story that I know you have wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, Batman, the long Halloween. And just to give a quick explanation for folks, this is an animated movie you can find on, I think it's an HBO plus primarily. There may be other ways to get DC movies. DC animation has been putting out a, a ton of animated movies, primarily about Batman, some about Superman, some about more of the Justice League in general, that aren't really talked about much, but that Paul has really turned me on to. We've been having a lot of fun uh, going through them, and we're going to really have a lot to talk about because it, it raises some of the fundamental questions of Batman and the Batman stories. And we'll, we'll tell you more about what the story is in a second. But first, Paul, let me just have as an intro, tell me more about like why it was that you loved the story and why you wanted it to be one we talked about. Yeah, so I, I don't really follow like what's coming out when and stuff like that. But um, when when Lee and I were at her mom's last year, you know, kind of in the middle of moving, we we technically didn't really live anywhere for like about a month, you know, and uh-huh. uh, we were on our way to Vegas. We were, you know, browsing HBO Max and and we're like, oh, there's uh, this is out. You know, maybe she actually knew it was out because she like reads things in the news and whatever. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) but so we we just put it on and and watched it and it was like, oh, this this is really good. And then it was like, wait, that was part one. (laughs) And then then there's like a part two and we watched the part two, which, you know, uh, conveniently actually came out the same day, which (laughs) Seems like it's interesting that they broke it into into two parts. And I guess we could talk about that a little later. But basically, you know, it's it's kind of like a a three hour animated movie that covers the span of a year, you know, from Halloween to Uh Halloween. And uh, I just think it's the type of Batman story that is like my favorite type of Batman story and is fairly different from a large amount of, you know, other superhero fiction that we see on screen. And, um, and then just the animation I think is fantastic. And in terms of story, I think, uh, DC's animation is overall like on average, uh, the best stuff they, they put out on screen, you know, Very compared to say television, uh, non-animated and then like live action films. And I think a large part of that is because the the bar is so much lower in a weird way and that they're not having to have this constant – like, first of all, the budget is much lower, so they don't need to justify the huge budget. They don't need to have a huge mass market appeal. And just – I think in some ways these movies are really helped by mostly flying under the radar screen because they're not therefore in the, you know, well, how does this compare to the other version of Batman? How does this compare to the Marvel movie that's coming out at the same time? How does this tie in all these things? It just gets to be a story on its own in a really great way. Yeah. And and I mean, I think this is what you're saying, but in terms of the bar being lower, I, I think you mostly mean like well, like financially, right, in terms of like – how much money something grosses. And I mean, I guess in terms of 
in yeah, terms of like, coverage, like as I said, though, the bar is low. I was not quite a man. I mean, it's more that like the expect the outside expectations that don't really have much to do with the movie itself are mostly not there. Right, and and certainly the you know broader population doesn't have expectations for what you know right. the, the thing's going to look like. Uh, I I do think that there are a lot of people who are really into um, animation DC. And, you know, specifically animated DC that, you know, occasionally something comes along and is highly anticipated and is uh, very disappointing to most people, like, say, The Killing Joke, um, which I I recently watched a a thing about it. And I was like, I was like, I feel like like they're saying things about the animation. I'm like, I think the animation was fantastic. Like the the story, you know, there's you know, you can have your issues with the story. Sure. You know, and, and in terms of how it was adapted precisely but mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think the expectations are amongst a smaller group of people i would say right and the, you just don't have the same amplitude of you know um the types of reviews that you're gonna get and the the types of responses so i i think right. generally that's like healthier for yeah. um anything someone's creating right where it's just like yeah, you you get to do your thing. You get to say, this is what we want to do. You do it the best you can, and then people will take it as they do, uh, as opposed to, right. you know, having huge expectations. You know, it's like a, a team that wins uh, a championship, and then the next year, you know, if if they're like the runner-up, then that's a disappointment somehow. You know, it's like, I feel right. like that's how, how feature films or like blockbusters are often uh, treated. It's like, oh, well, is this a disappointment compared to such and such? It's like, why... Why is that even the conversation? You know, it's just like, can't can't the thing just like live on its own? Like, is this good? Is it not good? Do you do you like it? Do you not like it? And so I I <laughs> that's my very long winded way of saying, yes, I agree that I feel like um, <laughs> this animation manages to to not be a victim of expectations. And I think one part of that may be that this is a lot more kind of day in the life aspect and this is like we talked about on the last podcast a little bit in terms of dread well i'm not sure what order this would come out in but it's one thing we talked <laughs> right. about dread but not even day of the life but like year in the life <laughs> a year in the life but also this is not part of a very fixed continuity mm-hmm. and i think in some ways that really helps it because like i love the mcu i do like continuity but i think part of what has gotten away from is and I think in some ways like the age of the internet makes this harder, but like there used to be a lot of stories where it was, okay, we know who these characters are, and because we're gonna tell you a story that isn't about a fundamentally change moment in this character's life, it's just kind of about like the character doing the thing the character does, and a lot of other characters doing the things that those characters do. It's okay that we don't know exactly where this fits in time compared to this other version of the story or if it a little bit contradicts that version of the story. It's just kind of a standalone story using characters that we know well. Mm-hmm. I think that's very hard to do in the MCU or like, you know, in the in DC. Now we have to have long conversations about like, well, the Robert Pattinson Batman doesn't exist in the same universe as like the Snyderverse or like this other thing. And and, and we, we have Thank to be very goodness. specific about it. <laughs> Because the animation has never been trying to be part of one whole unified universe, like, yes, this movie does tell the Harvey Dent origin story, and it does tell the death of Falcone, but it also doesn't um, – it, it doesn't make pretensions to sort of be like a definitive story that everything else has to reference. And I, I think that really helps it just be its own thing. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I do think that there are basically there are like runs of comics, right? Which mm-hmm. will have continuity with each other. And then often they'll have some giant multiverse thing that's like, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, that like theoretically connects all of them. Like I think DC has like 52 universes exactly. Yep. But you'll get so you know and with the animated movies you you got a series of them that you know th- there was this one run of them that I, I didn't love them you know and but they were kind of all in the same style and they kind of all had a continuity and then there's like the flashpoint story and then you know then it kind of reverts and then they just start making a new continuity right and so you you do get these kind of series but i i don't think there's ever this sense of this is the you know, definitive version of these characters, right? It's right. it's like this series of interpretations, and um, you know, this story, as as you mentioned, uh, the Dark Knight borrowed from it, um, the Batman borrows from it, right, quite heavily. Um, I I mean, I I think I somewhat jokingly referred to the Batman movie as the short halloween because yes i remember that (laughs) right it has so much from this but it's a week instead of a year which for for a for a live action feature film i think a week or a day or two or three days i i find usually the perfect length of time i think really extended movies don't work that well the reason this works well to me is that um you know the the principal plot revolves around holiday this like person who murders people on holidays and each scene or each sequence basically the movies are broken up into segments that are each kind of like one day right and it'll be just a series of of holidays so it's basically like 12 days played across three hours so you you essentially maybe get 12 15 minute segments more or less a couple of them are shorter um right but yeah i i think the fact that there isn't this weight of continuity on this really lets it breathe more and lets them. One of the things I really enjoyed here is that they have so many members of the the rogues gallery in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're able to be bit players and you can kind of do whatever you want with them. And it doesn't feel like, oh, but that's not that character. It's like, no, that's that's this version of that character. And right. if I didn't like any of the versions of them, like it wouldn't have felt like such a big deal. I didn't really dislike any of the versions of them, particularly, you know, there's a few things about like, well, why is Ivy like always working for someone else? She's like <laughs> the most powerful of all these people and whatever, yeah. you know, like so she doesn't have the depth that I'd like to see in her character. But like, that's OK, because this isn't like the Poison Ivy. It's like it's just Poison Ivy in this one thing and she's a small part of it. And like, that's fine. And there's a lot of characters like the Joker, you know, similarly mm-hmm. is this kind of minor character in this story that just it makes it feel like it's Gotham. It makes it feel like there's this depth and there's this breadth without feeling like it's trying to be the defining version of anything. And I just find that really pleasant. I think that's a really good way to put it. And it kind of addresses something that you and I have always talked about, which is that the part of the problem with these larger interconnected universes is that it doesn't make sense that a whole bunch of people never show up. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, if if you have a story where it would make sense for Captain America to show up for five minutes, but you don't have the budget for Christopher Evans to do, you know, four days of shooting to get those five minutes, it's hard to make it happen. But here you can do that. And I will we'll, we'll fill in the details of what the actual story is in a second, but it's, it's 
as Paul said, there's a stuff that's happening. And, and so at various points in time, different characters make appearances. And in many cases, it, it makes sense why they're showing up for various reasons or another. As you said, some less, some it's just because someone involved has hired them. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. But like the Joker was one of my favorites because the Joker, like the minute the Joker shows up, a part of me thinks, oh, okay, so this is actually a Joker plot on some level. And it's like, no, the Joker's just mad that this other, ca- this other villain is getting so much of the headlines and attention. <laughs> so the Joker's like, no, I got to try and fix this. I got to try to make it all about me. Right, exactly. And literally winds up just like gas attacking a thing that half the city is going to be at because this is the Joker says. Like, yeah, there's a 50% chance that one of the random people I kill will be this this guy. <laughs> right. And then that way I don't have – I'm not losing the attention. Exactly. And, I, and it's, it fits so perfectly for the Joker and it gives Batman a chance to deal with the Joker, but it isn't a Joker story, and Joker doesn't take over the story. Yeah, totally. And yeah, and it just does that with with a whole lot of characters, right? Yeah. Do you want to try giving a, a brief summary of the story, and uh, so that we can like kind of fill things in as we go, or do you want me to try to do that? Yeah, I'll give a I'll give a brief summary. Um, but first of all, just in terms of the the feel of the story, I want to say that like it's a story where Batman does Batman things. But it doesn't really feel like it's a story about Batman doing Batman things, you know, like like big, you know, gadgety, like huge fight scenes and stuff like that's in there. But that's not the focus. It's really it's a mystery detective story. Um, And Uh it's also less of a story about Batman being a great detective and more about Batman becoming a great detective. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, the basic premise is. Uh, Carmine Falcone is like the, the big mob boss in the city. And then there's also Moroni, right? Who's like his main competition. And, um, someone kills Falcone's nephew on Halloween, who actually was about to testify, um, against Falcone, right? Against Carmine. And so the, the whole thing has this, you know, Harvey Dent, James Gordon, Batman, um, you know, trio of characters doing that whole dark night trying to bring down the Gotham mob, right? Which is like this very traditional mafia uh, situation. And throughout, basically throughout the year on every holiday or on one holiday per month, basically, somebody comes and kills someone, usually part of uh, Falcone's um crime family right or family actually not even (laughs) they they kill someone who's who's not really part of the crime family who he doesn't want to be part of the crime family um but so it feels like it's this you know something against falcone right meanwhile um there are all of these you know costumed villains locked up in arkham and at various points, various ones of them get free, right? And right. actually, I would say that this is the story of – if you look at kind of the the over story, the overarching thing, this is the story of how Gotham goes from being, you know, basically like a mobbed up town to uh-huh. a costumed villain town. Um, yeah. And there's a clear distinction between the two in a way that's really interesting, especially in the perspective of in some ways the – the, the traditional kind of like you find him in any, you know, Godfather, Goodfellas movie, criminals are a lot worse or a lot scarier in some ways. Right, exactly. And the I, I think also like you could kind of look at it in the like D&D alignment sort of um, fashion where yeah. it's like, you know, you've got Harvey Dent and James Gordon who 
are trying to be lawful good, right? And then you have organized crime, which is lawful evil. And then you have, you know, the the Joker and people like the Joker, which is like chaotic evil. And then you right. have Batman, who's like chaotic good. But everybody's kind of trying to work with someone else to further their own ends. And, right. you know, and Catwoman, it, who's chaotic, Catwoman, who's like somewhere chaotic, neutral, or chaotic good. Exactly. And And like, yeah, in this, she's more of... You know, she's more basically just like an anti-hero, like Batman, you know? Right. Um, there are a lot of similarities between this Catwoman and the Batman Catwoman. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, at the end of it, not not to give away necessarily the, the final story, because I, I feel like we could kind of cover this without saying, you know, who what the actual answer to the mystery is. But it's basically, you know, there's a serial killer and it's about... Batman and others trying to figure out who that is while all this other stuff goes on at the same time. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's important. I do want to say who it is because I think there's some really interesting sure. questions around that that gets into some of the things. But I think we, we can have kind of like that'll be on a spoiler section later. Okay, that sounds good. For sure. Because, yeah, I, I think you're right. I want to talk about just some of the different parts of it that I most enjoyed and the questions it kind of raises. You know, and it's funny we're talking about this. Uh, this will probably come out a couple weeks after our episode on Dread. Uh, we have recorded it very recently after recording the episode on Dread, uh, the movie about – I keep wanting to say Judge Dread, but that's the Stallone version. This is the urban version. But the movie deals with a lot of the same issues that does. and it's, it's questions that are very central to what I love about Batman in general, which is all these questions around like, OK, when you've got a broken justice system – and it's almost impossible to fight the the criminal elements because of that broken justice system. And that gets into all sorts of sociological analysis to be sure. But like, what do you do? And I remember I said at one point as I was watching the movie, oh, this is going to be The Dark Knight because it is set at, at the beginning while Harvey Dent is still Harvey Dent before anything has happened to him. And it's Harvey and Gordon fighting with each other about how to best take down these mobsters at a time when neither one of the two of them trusts each other. And Batman trying to get in the middle and them having these interesting conversations about how do we deal with, like, to what extent can we break the law or can we cross lines in order to take down these people for whom there are no lines and there are no laws. And that part, it's very much the Dark Knight story. And then as it continues, you see that it's kind of the Dark Knight story and the Batman, Robert Pattinson story all kind of mixed up together. Like, or at least the, both of those are drawn from this. Right, exactly. So it feels that way when you watch this after seeing those. But it's like, oh, those just actually extracted these particular things from this story. Right. And so I want to start there with what what was your take on – because certainly I think for one thing, it it shows the slow, slow descent of, of Harvey Dent. It, like I love The Dark Knight. Don't get me wrong. And I thought the actor who played him was fantastic. Uh, Aaron Eckstein, I think it is. Eckhart. But it, it, it shows it in a much slower way and a much more protracted, like you said, over the course of a year. What did you think of Dent and his kind of evolution of a story uh, in, this, in this movie? I feel like this Dent has a little bit more – room to develop it's it's interesting because in terms of runtime this is actually longer than uh the dark knight right which feels like a pretty long movie i, th- I think the dark knight is like two and a half hours give, i think that's right, give or yeah. take right um and this is three hours you know but it's two one and a half hour animated films or like 125 you know a minute 25 a minute 27 or an hour 25 sorry um so it 
it feels like there's more room for some of those things to breathe here. Um, Also, you know, the Dark Knight, like, I mean, I think Aaron Eckhart did a great performance of Harvey Dent and then Two-Face. Eckhart, that's right. Thank you. Um, But, I mean, Heath Ledger was just sucking up all the oxygen in the movie, you know? Like, like, I'm not saying the Joker wasn't great in this, but the Joker doesn't dominate the story, you know, as we've discussed. And there are a lot of characters here, and so I'm not even sure Dent gets more screen time, but... The fact that this is spread out over a year, uh, it just, you know, so you get to kind of see these snapshots of where Dent is at these different points in time, right? Um, right. It kind of, I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I was I was going to say something about um, The Last Jedi, not The Last Jedi, Jesus, what am I talking about? Um, <laughs> I was going to say something about Tales of the Jedi and uh, how it developed a particular character over several instances but if you had like 12 instances there maybe it would have felt different right and so right here it's like you get these little snapshots of of where harvey is at different points in time and for me that really sells it because it uh it lets there be this this transformation that isn't just oh you know this one event happened and now uh, all of a sudden, he's Two Face, right? Even though that was kind yeah. of in there, that was his nickname, whatever. But like that one kind of goes from like White Knight straight to like Two Face, and this feels like there's always this conflict in there. There's there's always some complexity to the character. We don't see all of it, right? It's not the Harvey Dent story, but um, but that is a huge part of the story, and they they get to kind of have a little bit more of a slow burn with it both because of runtime and because of the fact that it's like the basically these like you know this dozen snapshots throughout time right and i think one reason why it really works is that as you said it's not just the one moment uh it does there's a lot having to do with his family but more than anything instead of it being about him losing someone mm. it's about it's really about cynicism yeah. and pragmatism and him starting out as this part because one of the first kind of major conflicts is they come a bunch they come across a whole pile of you know Falcone's money and like literally just like stacks of cash yeah and they're trying to decide like what to do with it and one of the things they realize is if they go by the books if they follow the law and what they're supposed to do of like turning it in there's a very good chance that Falcone is going to intercept that at some point and get it back because the whole system is so corrupt right. And and Catwoman is kind of there and winds up suggesting what they wind up doing, which is burning it. Yeah. Which is very illegal. And you can tell that like Dent is the one who winds up coming around to that position, but you can see that he's wrestling with it. And that from that, and then as you said, it's almost a year later that he gets, you know, attacked and has his face burned away, this time with acid, and thus be- winds up becoming two face. You just get to see his sort of gradual to me, it's such a fundamental question that hits for all of us because it's about lack of faith in a system. You know, he mm-hmm. starts out as the character who most thinks no matter how much corruption there is, no matter how much goodness, there, no matter how much badness there is, the law and the system of justice and the system of laws will will work if we stick to it. And, and really, the story is about his just losing all faith in that. Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning, Gordon's like, bend the rules, don't break them. But – you know, and then they just they just break them right away. But but there there's this this wrestling with that, right? And this like, you know, I mean, he's a DA. Like his 
right. whole career is I am going to use the law to, you know, try and mostly it's specifically this this one guy he seems to like really want to go hard against. But I think overall, he's, a, you know, a true believer that that is the way um, or at least a way, if not the way of trying to to change things. Right. And, you know, we're led to believe things have been quite bad and that there's, you know, that this cynicism is is shared, you know, by most of the the population. And I think really, um, you know, it it ends up kind of coming through that, like, yeah, that maybe that's just not going to work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the end of it, there's a question like, is. I mean, is is any of it going to work? You know, is doing yeah. things not according to the system? Does does that work? Like, you know, uh, I mean, in that regard, it's almost a much less hopeful story than the Dark Knight is, at least. Mm-hmm. And here we're talking about in terms of how the Dark Knight is about, like the fall of Harvey Dent, because by the t- the end of the Dark Knight, you certainly get the perspective that there's this idea that like a white knight fought the white knight didn't work. But that actually what Batman does does work and will help and will turn around the city even if it has to be done in a way where no one understands what Batman's actually doing or that kind of thing. And and, and then it gets really messy with the third movie. But there is, I think, an inter- – to me, the end of the Dark Knight movie is much more hopeful whereas this one is like, OK, well, like Batman – like Harvey Dent has been caught. It's been figured out who Holiday is and that has its own ending. But I don't have any sense that, like, Batman has turned things around in the city in any way. Yeah, definitely not. Right at the end, Batman is there on the rooftop, you know, where the bat signal is with Gordon and Two-Face now. And he says something like, was it worth it? And Two-Face says he wants to know whether the good guys won, Jim. And Gordon's like, yes, the good guys won, but we won't know for a very long time if it was worth it. Which to me is like saying yes we won this battle in terms of we achieved the goal of taking down carmine falcone right but we won't know for a long time whether or not that's going to make a positive difference for the city right yeah i I think that's a really good way to put it that that was the exact language that was occurring to me of the battle versus the war and it's it's part of a trend that i think i'm really appreciating because you know, we had like decades and decades of like Batman is good, Batman is helping Gotham. And then you always had to wonder like, so why is Gotham so bad after so many decades of Batman doing this? Mm-hmm. But that that's the timeline of comics. Um, but then I think you started to get a lot of criticism of Batman starting about like 10 years ago or so. That was like, well, but Batman's not actually helping. All Batman is doing is punching poor people, which I think there's some legitimacy to those complaints. Like, why doesn't Batman spend his money to make the city better? I think he actually does in a lot of ways, and a lot of those stories don't it, – it, it's easy to sort of make that critique without realizing that that's not quite accurate, but that's a whole other story. But I appreciate that I think with, with some of the newer stories, and I think Pattinson's Batman definitely does this, and this Batman does it as well, instead of it being attacking him himself, it's much more of a like, yeah, Batman is winning these individual battles, and he's saving people's lives by doing so, and he is stopping bad people by doing so. But is he winning the war? And – I really appreciate that level. And I think in part, that's part of the self-reflection that Pattinson is going through in the movie. And that by the end of that movie, he kind of is like, well, maybe by 
giving hope instead of by giving fear, I I can, you know, win the war in a different way. And I this movie doesn't get to that place of hope by the end, but I I guess it sort of does with the trick-or-treaters. But I, I think I really like that about this movie is that it, it's giving a chance for him to for him to win the battle, but for him himself to say, like, I don't know if this is winning the war. Yeah, and you know, I think I, I have a lot to say about those particular criticisms and I I I won't get too deep into it, but basically just I, I think it's always been or for a long time, I think it's been more complicated than that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think like, you know, there's there's a thing in, in the like the very first scene is Falcone trying to get Bruce Wayne to sign on to doing something with him, some business thing, um, because Falcone and um, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne had like done some things like building some hospitals together or whatever that somehow, you know, maybe lent some legitimacy to like the Falcone name. Right. Uh But also like, you know, built hospitals. Right. Like, and, and Bruce just responds, you know, I believe in Gotham city. And at the end, Falcone asks the same thing. He's like, do you still believe? And, and Batman's like, I do, you know, and I guess somehow he knows that's him. Um, oh, because yeah, he basically tells him it's him because of the thing about the coin or whatever. There's, there's like a line of dialogue that's shared, um, where he basically tells a dying Falcone that, you know, he's Bruce Wayne, I think. Um, and it, I, I think there's this idea that like, like Batman does believe in, in Gotham and like wants Gotham to, to be better, but that it's like, that it's complicated and that, I think there is some logic to the idea or some truth to the idea that like you, you can't just ignore like violent crime, right? Like you can't just have people going around murdering people and then not do anything to try and um, make that happen less, basically, right? But that also, one of the main reasons that there is as much violent crime as there is, or violence, I'm not even going to say crime, right? The reason there is as much violence as there is, is partially because of of resources and a lack of resources and the desperation that comes from having a lack of resources. And so, you know... I, I think sometimes you you get people saying, oh, we should only address this situation like in terms of like social programs. And then sometimes right. you get people saying, oh, we should only address this situation in terms of like, you know, really um, harsh policing. And I'm not arguing for the government doing both of those like exactly right. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is overall, like. I, I think you have to find ways to address both the the urgent, immediate, right now, you know, somebody is is suffering from violence and the um, ever-present um, pressing issue of there are – resources are not being distributed adequately to everyone, basically. Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the way I've been kind of seeing it more and more, and I think you helped me understand that the Batman, the Pattinson movie, kind of actually has some of this in it, that I think if, if the view is we have this broken system and as part of this broken system, 
people are getting hurt, people are getting killed, and bad people are doing bad things and getting away with them. And the the phrase bad people there is very subjective, obviously. But that one thing that can be helpful is to have a person who is sometimes using violence as a way to protect people and to stop people from doing bad things. Maybe we should get rid of the whole idea of bad people in general, but just like stopping people from doing bad things and protecting people from bad things happening to them. And I think for too long, the thought was if you do that enough and if you punch the people who are doing the bad things hard enough, they'll stop doing the bad things and everything will be better. And then the other side of the argument has been, well, but no, you're actually making things worse by punching the bad people and trying to save people. And I think the first point is clearly wrong. The second point I think there's some truth to, but I think goes way too far. And at least where I'm coming down to it, I think you're coming to a similar place, is like what Batman is doing is one necessary part of the equation. There also needs to be – like Bat, what Batman is doing is saying we've got a bad system and people are being hurt and people are getting away with it and I'm going to try and within that system try and make those two things change – and I'm reflecting the fact that the that those things in the system are a big part excuse me that those things in the system are a big part of what it makes it hard to change the system. So that I'm hoping that my like protecting more people and stopping more people from doing bad things and maybe giving some people some hope will create room for other people and maybe I'll help or maybe I'll not, maybe it's Bruce Wayne who'll do this, to actually make the change happen. And it's kind of a V for Vendetta thing of like V can do all the violence to stop things, but it's the people who then have to like actually make the change and do the do the positive thing. And I think what I'm coming down to is that kind of a place of like I think Batman can't punch the system until it is better. But Batman can figure things out, do the detective work, do the fighting work, protect people, stop bad things from happening, and in so doing, making it possible – for maybe him or maybe others to actually make the change, but that those have to be two kind of different things. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, you know, and especially, you know, it, I mean, if Batman can stop the, you know, stop people from causing harm to others without causing irrevocable harm to those people, right? That are right. Uh, attempting to inflict the harm, like you know, and that's sort of the you know the difference between like lethal and non-lethal. In 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 comic books, you have non-lethal, and in our world, you have less lethal, right? Less likely right. to be lethal. Um, but like in terms of using that sort of violence as opposed to just killing everybody, like the Punisher would. Um, right. And I think, you know, V for Vendetta is a great example because, like, V's not going to just take the mask off and then be someone who's, like, you know, trying to uh, help solve the other side of the equation, right? Right. Um, whereas Batman can take the mask off and pretend he's just Bruce Wayne and then probably do a lot of good in theory, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, of course... It's not like you can necessarily just use a bunch of money to change everything, but, you know, money does help, and I think influence helps more. And, yeah, I don't think this is a perfect example, and certainly it it gets watered down over the many seasons in different directions it goes, but I think Oliver Queen is a good example of how that can work, Mm -hmm. where, at least in the CW show, and I think in some of the other versions as well, you know, the arrow or the green arrow is – doing that kind of Batman work, but then his other persona, Oliver Queen, is using his money and using his political influence to try and change the system and make the systemic changes so that it's not all the bad things that are happening. And 
I like I think in the Pattinson movie, I think we're starting to get there, especially in the in the way that movie ends. And so yeah, I I would love to see more of that kind of thing. And which is again, let me actually back up here a second. Because my point is I'm not saying that those are therefore better than this. I'm saying what I like about this is I feel like it's much more honest about saying this is what Batman can do and there's a whole lot he can't do. And that the reason why the ending of it is so beautiful is that it's Alfred who's kind of saying like, no, but there is hope, Bruce, that what you're doing can create space for other people to do that. And that the fact that the kids are going back trick-or-treating again is the proof of that in a really great way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and and it, it does – there is a thing about, you know, I think Batman saying like, I think Batman can, uh, you know, make a difference or something like that or still – he says something and then Alfred's like, I, you know, I think the same is true of Bruce Wayne. Right. And yeah. And and yeah, the the you're right with the trick or treaters at the end. It it does. um, It it does have that 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 feel of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe there is some some hope for the city, basically. Um, yeah. I also I think you talked about this at the very beginning in terms of what you liked about it. I think as part of that, it is so important that this is primarily not – like the biggest thing Batman does is being a detective. He – we I don't think we ever see the Batmobile or like any kind of super uh, – uh, we don't see much like super gadgets or like Batman doing all like the great toys as, as Jack Nicholson Joker calls it. Like mostly what we see Batman do is is figuring out mysteries and occasionally winning fights when he needs to win fights and – I really liked that because I think it also kind of highlights that like in many ways the biggest thing that Batman can do is not just win fights with violence and cool toys and show off but is can dig into the things no one else wants to dig into and figure things out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's it's interesting because most of the story is about mobsters of one type or another or, or various criminals, right. Getting killed or, or, and cops and DAs. Yeah. And cops and DAs. Uh, no, are, are DAs killed in this? I mean, Oh, but I, I just mean that it's, it's about Dent and his family as much as it is about, like, no, like, no, to no, me no, it's no. mostly about two families, I, the, 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 the Dents and the Falcons. Yeah. But I, I was, I was making a very specific point, which is the violence done is basically violence largely against, uh, it, it is like very specific targeted violence against the Falcone family and oh, yeah, associates, sure. right? It's not um, about these big plots to destroy all of Gotham. The Joker tries to, you know, murder half of the people, theoretically, and Batman stops him. But that's like a side note. That's usually act three. Of, yeah, you're right. Right. There, of, there is no big plot to stop. Right. The big plot to stop is usually the main act. Like in the Batman, there's a big plot to stop at the end because that's how you structure blockbusters. And I feel like there's value in that act. I don't feel like it ruins the movie or anything. And I don't think it's a third act. It's like a seventh act or whatever. Um, I haven't really thought a ton about the exact structure of the whole movie. But I do know that's a thing that a lot of people felt like. Eh, like, do 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 we need to do this? And I, I do actually co-sign the view like, no, I don't think you needed to do that exactly that way. Right. Um, I do think uh -huh. it's interesting that here, you know, the most public thing Batman does is save all those people from the Joker. Right. Right. But that's a side note in this story, which I actually yeah. find a lot more elegant and interesting where it's like 
Batman's trying to solve this mystery of a bunch of, you know, criminals mostly getting killed and, you know, spoilers, eventually maybe he does. And, but he saves like these tons of people from Joker toxin and like, that's a side note, right? That's just like, oh yeah, this yeah. happened. Um, and I, I think that's kind of cool to, to frame the story that way. The big bad's plan is to eventually kill the last of the mobsters, and it works. Like the big bad right. does the thing the big bad wants to do. Do do you want to actually get to the spoiler section now? Yeah, I was thinking let's let's do that. So let's just take a quick break, and then we're gonna uh, talk about a little, the who Holiday is and some other spoiler stuff, and then wrap up. Right, right back. All right, so we're back. So yeah, let's start talking about the big bad holiday uh, and and who it gets revealed to be because we're now in a spoiler section. So going into spoilers in three, two, one. Holiday is Gilda Dent, Harvey's wife, which I definitely did not see coming. Uh, what did you think of, of kind of the way that story wound up playing out? Uh, I thought it was – I liked it a lot. Um, I think early on – you were briefly supposed to entertain the notion that maybe it was like the Joker or something because he'd escaped at a certain time, but then you're supposed to, oh, it's not him. Um, and uh, at the end of the first one, you were th- supposed to think it was um, Alfonso Falcone, um, Carmine's right, son, son, right? Who um, actually was Gilda's first husband. And right. they had met at Oxford and, um, and she was pregnant. And then they got married and then Carmine found out and had it annulled and uh, forcibly um, uh, aborted the, the, you know, the fetus or whatever it was at that stage, um, which, you know, <laughs> that's not pro-choice, right? right. <laughs> like non-consensual abortions are bad. Um, and she uses the words ripped from my womb. And while the word infertility is never stated. Yeah. There's a running plot line with Harvey and her that she can't have children. And so I think the idea is that they did it in a way that wound up basically like she's unable to get pregnant again or unable to carry a child. Right. Again. Exactly. Like like they they might have, you know, hysterectomized or whatever. Is that a word? Um, yeah. Li- like so. So, you know, this is violence done to her. This isn't, you know, a, right. a, a choice um, of hers anyway. And, and for those, by the way, who who decided not – you don't want to go watch the movie, which is totally fine, though I think it is very good. But for those who are fine being spoiled but are still listening along, we only learn all this at the very end. Right. Um, yes. I, I will say I, I definitely knew it was her. <laughs> like, okay, I, that's fair. Um, I watch a lot of mysteries and, um, there, you know, I – there, there are things I, I won't talk about, like how the the mystery was kind of presented, but I, I do think they did a lot of things that are an effective way of of throwing people off the trail, right? Which, yeah, which when you watch a ton of mysteries, then often kind of become like meta clues, you know? Yeah. Um, where like I will also say I watched it while very high on some anti migraine. Uh, <laughs> Um, 
medicine i was having trouble following some parts of the plot so it's entirely possible there's a lot more obvious than i thought fair fair i i I wouldn't say that i thought it was obvious i would say that they did some things that i that i found to be very clear misdirects like they kept talking about holiday oh him him this guy this guy and i'm like they keep saying him like it can't possibly be a woman and that's exactly the sort of thing you want to do if the killer is actually a woman right and uh and you know there's some other things throughout but um um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a good mystery. I, I didn't think from Definitely. like, you know, the, the first scene that it was her, you know, it, it took a while. Um, I think yeah. I solved it before Batman did. But uh, I like that throughout Batman is like, you know, I didn't know the Batman would have to be a detective to do this, right. basically. Right. And then by the end, he becomes a good enough detective to solve it. Right. And and no one else does except oh well Harvey actually solves it. Yeah. Right. And and Harvey actually kills Carmine. Um right. It's not oh, yeah, that's right. It's not her who does it. It's not it. her who does and it. Then, and then when he gets caught, he takes credit for all of all, everything that happened, kind of covering for her. Exactly. And we don't even know whether Batman tells anyone else at the end. Because he's basically He's like, I need to know that Holiday is done. And she's like, not done. Finished. Like, that was it. You know? She's she's not like a serial killer who wants to kill a lot of people. She's a person with a vendetta that has been completed. You know? Right. And, and so I think at the end of it, Batman's like, yeah, okay. Like, you... And I think he sees like like his parents were also killed by Falcone, right? Or by their association with him, maybe by Moroni. I'm not sure. Right. Um, and and I think it's stated that like nobody knows, right? It's not clear. It's clear that that was the reason they got killed, but it's not clear um, exactly who did it. Which I have to make a quick interruption. We do see a flashback to his parents' death, <laughs> and we saw a hand reach for the pearls, and I audibly groaned. But then they just rip away, and that's all we see of the pearls. And I was like, okay, that's fine. There's no slow motion of pearls. I can deal with that. Yeah, and and we don't even really see them get shot in, like, full frame. You know, the yeah. the way it's shot is – it. I think it shows their faces, and then it shows, like, Bruce's face. And then it cuts back to Batman in uh, Crime Alley, which they don't name. Right. And some other family who's like, oh, get away from him. And – right. And, and it's happening while he's on a hallucinogenic drug. So it's much like it, – I, I don't want to keep seeing that scene, but I feel like if you're going to show me that scene, they both earned it in the plot and then also like didn't do it as bad as it normally is. That that was my aside. We can go back to the main. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. And, you know, I was happy in the Batman where they didn't have that scene, right? Um, yep. Here I felt like, okay, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Cool. Moving on. Great. Um, and – you know, and and because this is a, an, an earlier Batman, this is like year two Batman, right? There's a there's yeah. a comic Batman year one, and this is like year two basically, and um, yeah. I so I think I think Batman like understands like Bruce understands where Gilda is coming from, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of this like wanting vengeance, and and he's chosen a different path, um, but. You know, she's essentially gotten vengeance on all the people that he might have wanted vengeance on. Um, right. So it's so you could say he's got like a little bit of a conflict of interest, really, in in terms of like letting her walk or maybe letting her walk. We don't even know, but it, it does seem like he's just like, okay, 
well, you did all these, you know, you, you caused all this harm to all these people, but if you're done now, okay, you know, what am I going to do? What's the point in, in bringing you in? And, you know, um, and like, he just stands there while she's destroying the evidence. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, – you're probably going to know much more about this than I do, and we don't need to go too into the details. But Dexter is another favorite mm. TV show of, of both of ours, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the ending notwithstanding. Yes. But where one of the points is like he is someone who on the one hand, like he he wants to kill in order to like you know have vendettas and to take out bad people. But for him, it also is a compul- – for him, it is a compulsion. He couldn't just stop. And he comes across as someone who he thinks might be kind of like a partner, both romantically but also in the same way. But what is revealed eventually is that she had a similar thing. She had a vendetta against a specific group. And once she's finished with that, she no longer needs to kill the way he does. And in some ways, I think that that's kind of the question that Batman is trying to get at in that final scene with Gilda of like, are you going to do this again? And you're right. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if he turns her in. But I think he doesn't because – he, he, I think he, I think what's pretty clear is that he is satisfied that she believes she's not going to do this again. And then he just, he doesn't really say anything. He just walks away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that to me matches kind of what sort of the, the lack of the idea of, of justice being the most important thing, right? right? The idea being like, the most important thing is what's going to happen next. You know, okay. Right. We know that you, did these things, right? We know that you murdered these people. Are you, you know, a murderer in terms of your actions? Well, sure. Yeah. But are you a murderer in terms of your, like what you want to do with your life? You know, like, like Dexter is, is compulsively wants to kill. Like it's just a thing. Right. right. And and so, you know, his, his dad um, from Jericho, uh, <laughs> Uh, wants to like find a way for him to channel that in a constructive way that also won't get him in as much trouble. Right. Right. And here that's not like who this Gilda is as, as far as we can tell. I mean, sure. I would think like if someone deeply wrongs her in the future, she's more likely than a random person to then uh, go through some sort of violent vendetta. But all the people that she really had on her list are, are dead. She crossed off everyone on her list. And it's like, you know, okay, well, it doesn't seem like you're going to be um, causing a lot of harm going forward. So, you know, yeah. go live the rest of your life. And I admit, I'm so torn on that because you're right. I think and this is kind of what we talked about with, with Dread not long ago. Criminal justice can have a number of different approaches. And one approach can be, you did a bad thing and so therefore you should be punished, which I think both you and I are like pretty strongly rejecting because it's it just been proven it doesn't work and it feeds into the worst impulses. Another is we want to prevent you from doing future harm and so therefore we're going to put you in a place where you're incapable of doing future harm, which I think, you know, I think can be very helpful, but also there's like a difference between helping to get someone to a point where they're not going to do harm versus just locking them away in a cage somewhere. But I think a third thing is that preventing people in society from doing harm in general does involve letting them know that if they do harm and get caught, then something bad might happen to them. And like, 
to me here, it kind of goes to your, the thing you were saying before about how like I fully want to reform the justice system, but I also don't want to say because right now we have a broken police system, we should do nothing about people who do violence to each other until we have a good system to treat them with. You know, like we got to do something about it still today and now. So I think that's the one part where I stumble a bit, though I do think that they resolve it well because I do think that like – you know, I think a world in which we say if you do a bad – if you kill someone, but then by the time you get caught, you can prove you're never going to do it again. You always get to walk free. Like that's not a good situation. Be, but the problem being that if people think like, oh, someone else killed and got away with it, the fact that Harvey Dunt takes responsibility for all those crimes I think is the one other factor that I think helps Batman be okay with it because I, I, I do think at least that Batman on some level is – like I said, he's not just going to say, OK, you're never going to kill again. I'm going to let all of you walk free. But the fact that he both understands where he's coming from, where she's coming from so much, he sympathizes with that. But also I think that someone else has taken credit. So at least in the public's mind, this, this, this crime has been dealt with is a part of what allows him to walk back up those stairs. Yeah, I agree um, with, with with that last part for sure. Um, I, I think in terms of, you know, punishment as a means of dissuading people from doing things, I think that's a that's a whole conversation, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I do think here it is definitely true that he is, you know, given that opportunity to to not not have someone visibly walking free, right? To to have the case be closed as, you know, Two-Face and Harvey took credit. And it's like, okay, well, what's the value in, like, he's, he's going to be in Arkham as long as Arkham can hold him, which, as we all know, is probably not very long. But, right. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't really matter whether he, I mean, because he definitely killed uh, Carmine, right? So, like, yeah. you know, he he'll he'll be in there for a while, no matter what. Um, and then and he also, I guess, he orchestrated the Arkham prison break as well um, himself. So even more evidence that it probably won't hold him that long. Um, yeah. And and to be clear, to be clear, I'm not saying that like retributive justice helps with prevention. Like that's been proven to be very clear. I'm just saying that also like a system of no consequences whatsoever doesn't seem great either. And that just. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. So so I feel like, you know, it, it, it Batman kind of gets to have it both ways here. Right. Where he, he gets to let this person who has been uh, greatly harmed and then done a, a, a large amount of harm as well um, in, in vengeance for that. He, he lets to let her walk and then you know maybe have her second life or third life as this it seems like this this middle one's kind of been like a a, a purgatory of sorts for her right. and like who knows what she'll do after that right um and there is this theme of like a second life obviously batman you know from bruce wayne but there's this this great scene between um harvey dent just before he becomes two-face and solomon grundy who just keeps saying yeah. born on a Monday and, and like, but then Harvey goes through the whole cycle of like on Tuesday, um, something else happened and Wednesday. And then, you know, he died on Sunday and then Grundy's like born on a Monday. <laughs> and he's like, ah, yep. reborn. And then, then, you know, Dent takes off the bandages and now he's two face. And, you know, this is very clearly kind of his, his second life. And so, you know, maybe Gilda, can have a second life as mm -hmm. whatever else, you I, know. 
I I did quite like the character of Luca Grundy. I mean, sorry, uh. Solomon Brazi. I mean, sorry, Solomon Grundy <laughs> as the Luca Brazi stand-in for this. And yeah, I thought that was a really the use of that poem was really well done. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, you you had mentioned that. I mean, I think there's definitely some like nods to the Godfather as uh, uh-huh. in <laughs> not to mention like specifically calling um, Carmine, you know, the Godfather. But uh, I, I I didn't totally get the the Luca Brasi, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. connection. I mean, he didn't sleep with any fishes. I guess he actually does. He he lives in the sewer, so I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I, I think just in like they they put him in a suit and they had him as the kind of like almost nonverbal but big effective killer type. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Fair. So just more in terms of vibe rather than kind of plot yeah. positioning. I, I got you. I feel that. So there's one other thing I want to say about the Gilda thing, and then we can just do some kind of last last things and then wrap up, which is that I think part of why I didn't see it is, like, it works very well for the story. And I think if I hadn't gotten really invested in the other version of what we were seeing of her, I would have liked it a lot more. But one of the things that is done is that, and I think probably some of this is very real, but some of this is to sell her story, throughout the story until then, Gilda is very much kind of a shut-in. And, like, she's constantly... Like she's had has obviously like a lot of very down moods and she doesn't want to go out as much as Harvey does, and like be seen in public as much as Harvey does. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful explorations I'd seen of a character going through long term depression and reproductive loss of some kind. And the way they showed Harvey not like hitting her, not like being terrible to her, but still reacting in the way that I think is very common but is actually quite harmful for a person who doesn't quite understand the mental issues that someone else is going through to respond to with them. You know, and he kind of gaslights her at times. He's kind of like trying to get her to minimize things. And it wasn't – again, it wasn't shown to be like, look how evil Harvey is to her so he belongs everything that's happening to him. But I think it was a way of showing that Harvey is getting so wrapped up in everything else that's going on to him that part of his fall is that he's really neglecting the the emotional needs of his wife and and of that part of his life. And I still think a lot of that is true and a lot of that still works. But knowing that some of that at least was an act because like, you know, she would say like, Harvey, I really need to leave. And then a little while later, the holiday holiday would kill someone. It, it, it was like sort of like, OK, you gave me one character and then showed me that that character was kind of a shadow for the real character. And that's cool, but I really loved that first character you gave us. And so it was a little sad that that – it wasn't taken away, but it definitely was like going back and watching it now, I think I'm going to have a lot less sincerity of what Gilda is putting out, you know. And, and I'm a little bummed about that, even though it still makes her a great twist. Mm. I hear you. Uh, I, I did just watch it for the second time. And I'll say I, I don't feel like she was putting on an act. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I do think you know when she was at one point, she's like under police protection or whatever, and she's like, I, you know, um, I think she's like, oh, I, I have to go do this, I have to go do this, and and they're like, no, 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 but you know, you we can't leave you alone or whatever, um, and I think like I feel like she's both of those people though, you know, like I think yeah. as Holiday, she's not. Like there's no personality there, right? She's she's right. just going and doing a thing, and um, I I I get you that it feels like you know you've taken this very specific character and then added this other thing that um, feels 
sort of I mean it it definitely doesn't let the first character just be just that, right? Right. And 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 so I feel you there. Um but in, in at some the, ways I think it's also just the normal representation stuff we talk about of if there hadn't been so few of that first kind right. of character, I probably wouldn't mind anywhere near as much. Right, yeah. Where it's like it's like, oh, we finally get, you know, a representation of this who's also a serial killer on <laughs> holidays. Okay. Okay. You know. But yeah, but it still was a great twist and I I think that's part of why also I didn't see it coming is because, mm. yeah, the, the scene where she's with those cops and wants to get off by herself, I think is probably a lot more suspicious than I gave it credit for. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then also it's just like from a storytelling perspective, um, it's like, wh- why is this story giving her so much room? You know, um, right. I think it's great that it does. And I think it would be great if a story where she wasn't the killer did that. But typically, you know, a comic book story isn't going to focus on, you know, the depressed wife of the, like, third protagonist. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's a that's an unusual choice. And and so to me, that probably popped out as well as like an instant like. Well, who's she? Like, what, you know, yeah. like what is what is she? Why is she in this story so much? Which isn't. I don't mean like it would be a bad choice. Otherwise, I think it would be a great choice. Otherwise, it would be very yeah. interesting. But um, that, but it just would be an unusual kind of, one. It's it's. I wouldn't expect storytellers yeah. to to go to the, that those lengths. And it's funny. Cause I think in some ways you actually made my point even better than I was making it, and also helped me understand how we see the movie a little differently. Because to me. Harvey Dent is 100% the main character of this. Mm. Like, I see it primarily about his... And, they, and part of that's because I've always been so fascinated with his story, so maybe that's what I glom on to most. But you're right. I thought it was so interesting and so different that they were giving us her story. Yeah. And I want to... I wish we saw more of that. Absolutely. And so that was part of also, I think, the like, oh, that's why you gave us her story, not just because you think it's interesting. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And I do feel like they thought it was interesting enough to be actually the... I mean, in another way, she's the main character, right? Yeah. It's like, sure, it's called Batman, The Long Halloween, and a lot of it focuses on, you know, Harvey Dent and him becoming Two-Face, but, like, it's a story about serial killer, right? And she's, like, in in some way, the villain is always the star, right? And I wouldn't wouldn't even call her a villain, you know, but she's, she's definitely the serial killer, you know? She's the one, you know, who done it. And, um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would, I would love to see something similar. That's a mystery that also has characters who you wouldn't expect to be as well fleshed out as well fleshed out as she is, who are actually then red herrings, you know? And it's like, that's all the, when you do a mystery, you can take any character and make them a big deal, uh, either because they are with, with, a number of members of Falcone's family. Right, exactly. You know, and they, they none of them I felt got quite as much, but a lot of them yeah. got way more than they would in a story that was just, you know, an action story. This wasn't an action story. It was it was a mystery that had action in it. Right. I think you're right. All right, well, just a couple of last things I wanted to touch on and hear from you as well before we wrap up. Uh I I was really impressed with the with the, with the voice casting. Uh, Jensen Eccles, who is most known for Supernatural and now for The Boys, he's the voice of Batman, and I thought he was very good. And, and it's also interesting because, like, when we people talk about who are the Batman, you know, who are the people who played Batman, 
Um, I've certainly heard, never heard his main name mentioned in the in the conversation. I think because this is much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, the only little – I love having Katie Sackoff, who people know from Battlestar Galactica and some other things, as Poison Ivy and some other great people. And, and as, as Bo-Katan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. The only thing that like – I thought it was good voice acting, but it just kind of like rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. But again, I, I, I focus on these things a lot. Naya Rivera, who a lot of people know mm. from Glee, where she really got her start yeah. and unfortunately has passed away, she was the voice of Selena Kyle of Catwoman, which I thought was great. Um Naya is Latina, uh, or Naya. Wa- if someone's dead, do you say was or is? I say was, and yeah, okay. you know, I say died violently in by drowning, not passed away. But you know, yeah, that's awesome me. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Naya was Latina and and quite dark skinned, and so to have her voice acting a much lighter skinned Selena Kyle, I I didn't love, but I also know that like we're still going very slowly on that kind of thing. So fair enough. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I really love the voice acting. I, and I, I thought you're right. The animation was just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one, at least the first one was dedicated to her as she yeah. died sometime between, uh, recording the, the voice and, um, doing the, uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, and the, and the release the, of the movie. Exactly. Like, yeah. Quite tragically too. Y- yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, it, it's, it's interesting because it's like that's also kind of the um, the opposite of like if you have, you know, a, a white actor playing a, a character with, with darker skin, like that also is going to be, um, I don't know. I, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is I think that this is probably less problematic than that and... Um, it's possible that they basically had the animation and then they cast her, you know? Right. Uh, that would make, yeah, that, that would make some sense. But, um, yeah, um, I, I, I thought she was a very good Catwoman, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did feel that, um, who was it? Uh, I felt like Jensen Ackles was kind of trying to do a Kevin Conroy without like yeah, trying I- to do a Kevin Conroy impersonation. I wondered at first if it was Conroy because it sounded kind. It definitely sounded like that strong, gruff, giving very little emotion, but not quite there. Yeah, and, and I would say, um, I, you know, I don't want someone to do an impersonation, but to me, this kind of hit the the sweet spot of like feeling like it was in the spirit of the Kevin Conroy Batman without being like right. I'm going to try and impersonate Kevin Conroy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and overall, I, I I did think the the voice acting was excellent, and the um, yeah, but but the the animation was just uh, on. I feel like it's on another level from a lot of the other animation um, that we see from you know, um, especially Disney, I guess, per- particularly in terms yeah. of like Star Wars. You know, I mean, there's things in the Star Wars animation that I think are great, like it's the settings and stuff. Uh, but in terms of the characters themselves, like this, it feels more to me like a comic book um, that moves, you know? Yeah, I think it's very good. Yeah, it, it reminded me that way of us into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. You know, very different styles. Any other last things you wanted to bring up before we wrap up? Uh yeah, there's there's one uh, more line from Gilda at the end where uh, she says, um, 
in the end, I loved him talking about Harvey, but not all of him. And Mm. I feel like that kind of parallels some of the um, Bruce and Selena relationship where because they're like actually together. They're a couple and Catwoman knows who Batman is, but then they're not a couple. And it's like they clearly can't really make it work, but they kind of try and then then it doesn't work and then it does. And, you know, um, there are two more stories that follow this in the same comics continuity. Um, one is called Catwoman when in Rome and the other one's Batman dark victory. And, uh, the latter I think is, is like a, a Dick Grayson Robin, uh, origin, okay. which I think would be really interesting to see like handled in the same kind of on the same level as, as this. And I would yeah, I really that. like to see the Catwoman when in Rome, which is, uh, she like takes a trip to Rome to try and find out. What's up with, you know, her, I guess mostly her mom, because um, Falcone is is dead now here. Um, and yeah, and it looks like it's like a, a week and, you know, whatever. But um, unfortunately, you'd, you'd have to get a, a different uh, voice actress, mostly unfortunately, because, you know, someone died and that sucks. Right. Um, but it would be nice to see like a, a Catwoman story that's like this is. A Catwoman story, you know, that's not right. the Halle Berry movie. Yeah. 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 Because it is that same story from the Batman of Falcone was her father. Right. Exactly. And she, he says a name at the very end, which I think is, is supposed to be the point that that's Selena Kyle's mother's name. Yeah. This, she doesn't even know her mother's name. Yeah. I think he says Louisa. And when she's at the very end, she's trying to save uh, Sophia, which is. I guess her half sister um, or sister. And she's like, Sophia. And then Sophia like lets go and falls to her death. Um, But it feels almost like they know each other, you know, like she knows her. Um, Yeah. uh, Which was just an interesting, like just little thing. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Other couple little things I loved. Um, The Joker at one point makes a comment that why he, has to like why he's so invested in the holiday story is that he like Batman loves a good puzzle right which is I've never really heard it expressed quite that way but I really like that is that something that, that binds the two of them together um early on we talked about how kind of like this is about Batman kind of learning how to do the stuff he does especially detective work there's a scene where it's pretty clear and, and Gordon actually says this like he doesn't use the words good cop bad cop but but he basically was like I thought we had a thing where we were going to, like, bluff the violence. And 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 Gordon does the, like, yeah, I hope you answer me or else I can't deal with Batman <laughs> yeah. here. And then Batman is like, does the – and he's like, no, no, dude, it was a bluff. It was a bluff. We can't do it. He's like, I thought we were doing a bit here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really good. And I also just, like – I haven't actually seen this much since the original Godfather and I think it's very much a reference. Actually, no, it's in Goodfellas where they're – no, forgive me. This is a bit that I haven't seen since Goodfellas, and then Goodfellas did it in reference to The Godfather. But in both of them, there's a scene where the mobsters are, like, making a spaghetti sauce that's really great. Oh, yeah. And so having Falcone make a reference to how, like, you have to get the basil just when it's really fresh to, like, make the good sauce. I was like, oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, it just really made me want to eat some pasta with some, like, red peppers, like, and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. What we're going to do now, as we're doing for most of the year, is we're going to wrap up. We're going to give the outro. Uh, and then there's going to be a bonus section where we talk a little bit more about the episode and other things we recommend, which if you're a Patreon, you get to find out about. And so, Paul, before I go into all that, uh, for folks who are following you, what do you want them to know? 
I'm Zen Madman in all the places, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube. I've started coaching, writing, and creating again, and details on all that are available on my website, zenmadman.com. Like Matthew, I'm also launching a Patreon, and support there will help me spend more of my time making stuff for folks. So if you're heading over to support the Ethical Panda, which you absolutely should do, feel free to stop by mine afterwards. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear you getting those things started, and as Paul said, you can find both of us now on Patreon. I'm The Ethical Panda, Paul is Zen Madman, and I know on Zen Madman you get a lot of great stuff right here. If you do sign up to be a patron, uh, pretty much any level, you'll get to have the bonus content that we're about to do. We've been having a lot of fun making those, so really hope you get to check those out. But for everyone who's going to be stopping here, as you know, the best way to find us on all the places is The Ethical Panda. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Twitter and TikTok are the main ones I've been focusing on lately, but we do have a Discord, we do have a Facebook page, and depending on uh, content and generation, I'd be happy to make more things there. So let us know what you think. Uh, this is not a movie a lot of people have seen, but if you have seen it, we'd love to hear it. If you haven't, what do you think about it? You know, wanting to watch it, or what do you think about all the questions we raised about, uh, you know, this new idea of who Two Face could be, or how you know Two Face's origin story, or Holiday and who Holiday could be, and and the mystery and what Batman decides to do at the end. Would love to hear your feedback and thoughts. The Ethical Panda, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, all those places, and the best way to find all that is going to be in the show notes. Or if you go to our website, theethicalpanda.com, uh, there you'll find all the content information. You'll find information about all the other podcasts we're doing. We've been doing episode-by-episode episode coverage of The Bad Batch. We have a great episode coming out on The Last of Us uh, with Danielle, written in the Star Wars, who's a huge fan of that show. and is going to have a uh, – she's played through the whole video game. I have not, so we're going to have a great conversation about that. That will be here on this podcast coming soon. All that's going to be up on the website. So – Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're a patron, then we will uh, have more for you in just a second. And for everybody else, have a great day. Hey, 